Welcome, food enthusiasts, to this episode of the Future Foodcast. I'm Pam Linemiller, your host, and as usual, we are talking with thought leaders all in the food space. Today, we have with us Al Liu. He is the Vice President of Coffee with Colectivo Coffee Roasters. Welcome to the podcast, Al. Thank you very much, Pam. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes. And in the fall of the year, who doesn't love coffee? I know the temperatures, uh, they vary from mild to pretty cold. But, you know, as this podcast is being released, I think we're going to be solidly into some good cold weather. And especially in the middle of the country where you are with Colectivo. And uh, I know that's a great time to have some good coffee. Well, it, good coffee can be had uh, and should be enjoyed year round, especially oh. in the advent of cold brew. Uh, which definitely has popped up over the past four or five years, is very popular, especially among young coffee consumers. Uh, but uh, I drink uh, hot coffee year-round, and it definitely is um, nice to come in from the cold and have have a nice cup. Yeah, I forgot about cold brew. That's a great, that is a great summertime drink as well, because it's refreshing. And for those of us who love coffee, like I do, and you do as well, obviously, it's your profession and your um, vocation, but um, they can get it all year round. So you're right. Well, tell us a little bit about Colectivo Coffee Roasters, because you you kind of have a special place in the market. Tell us a little bit about where that is. Yes. So we are a specialty coffee roaster retailer. Uh, So we have been roasting coffee for just about 30 years. Next year, we're celebrating our 30th anniversary. And we currently operate 20 retail locations. uh, 12 of them are in Metro Milwaukee, three in Madison, four in the city of Chicago, and one in Evanston, just north of Chicago. So uh, we also have a number of wholesale accounts ranging from independent cafes that don't roast their own coffee to uh, large grocery store chains, uh, restaurants, offices that provide coffee for their employees. So we are in what I would call the medium size category for roaster retailers in the specialty coffee industry. Yeah. Nice differentiator too. I mean, you're actually roasting the beans. You're not just importing the beans and using them to brew the coffee in your different retail locations. I mean, you're controlling that quality, that that bean and that roast and all the details that go into that. Um, Now, is that all done centrally or how does that work? That is all done just over there uh, in our production area. So we are uh, have our base in the River West neighborhood of Milwaukee. Okay. And we roast here five days a week, Monday through Friday. And okay. we have a cafe that is adjacent to the production area. So customers can come in and watch everything going on. I mean, that whole customer experience, as long as you talked about the customers being able to come in and see what's happening. Customers these days, all that I'm hearing on the Future Foodcast from our different guests is they want transparency. They want to know what they're getting. So you're actually letting them in on the roasting process. Sure. Uh, That's very cool. Yeah, so that's not something that you see uh, much of in our industry, but there are roasters, particularly smaller ones, that will do it in front of their customers. Uh, it's always been something that we've done for many years. Even when we were much smaller, we were in a different location. Uh, customers could come into the cafe and just sit at a bar and watch the roasters work five feet away from them. Yeah. Very neat. But the beans they're roasting, because that those are also kind of special. You just don't take any old beans 
to roast. So that that front end, that that sourcing of your beans, I know is near and dear to your heart. You've got some history there. I'd love to for you to share that with our listeners. Sure. So I started working with Collectivo at the end of 2000. The company had a different name then. It was called Altera Coffee Roasters. And at that time, we had only four retail locations. We were much smaller, but we already had a very good presence in the Milwaukee area. So this was before uh, large coffee ro- uh, roaster retailers like Starbucks came into the market. So we, we already were well known in the area. And I started working in the flagship cafe during the holiday season of 2000. And it was only supposed to be a couple of months. And then I was going to move back to Washington, D.C., uh, where I'd gone to college and figured I would start my career. And uh, so to make a long story short, I ended up talking my way into a job with the Altera owners. And one of the things that I did was manage communication with producers in several Latin American countries whose coffees we were purchasing through importers. Uh, So I was with Altera for seven years. And then at the beginning of 2008, I moved to Seattle to work for a specialty green coffee importer. So green coffee is what we call unroasted coffee. Importers are what I like to call the wizards behind the curtain. So they often are the ones building the relationships in the different producing countries, setting up the supply chains. And then once those are in place, they introduce roasters to those supply chains. So the, and then the roasters buy the coffee and then sell it and talk about, oh, I, we met this producer or we discovered this coffee and it's really the importers. Really the importer. (laughs) Yes. So during my time at that company called Atlas Coffee Importers, I uh, started traveling quite a bit to what we call origin, which is the coffee producing world, Uh, primarily uh, in Latin America from Mexico all the way down to Peru, Bolivia, Brazil, and also Indonesia, and then later India. So I was uh, sourcing green coffee, uh, working with cooperatives, uh, exporters, different types of producers, and getting to know those coffees, getting to know those people, because our industry is very relationship-based. And so after those supply chains were established, I started introducing roaster clients to some of them. And so I was leading a trip in Sumatra in Indonesia in November of 2015. And the three Altera founders, the company had become Collectivo by that point, uh, were on the trip. And at the end of that trip, they asked me to come back. So I have been back with the company and in Milwaukee since the spring of 2016. Well, I I love those stories where it's like, I was just going to take this temporary job to bridge me from here to there. And it's kind of like, ultimately, you never left. I mean, you did, but you stayed in the industry and and used your gifts and your connections with some of the foreign countries to, you know, build that importer. And then you end up coming back. I just... I just love those kind of stories. And it's not un, it's not uncommon, really, where people say, well, I was just going to do this for a little while. But then <laughs> <laughs> my, my plan to go back to D.C. and all the things to start my career, that never really happened. Well, I know Colectivo is really happy that that never happened because they've got some great sourcing uh, for their coffee. And that is what helps you with consistency of quality and the beans that you have available to roast. But Tell our listeners a little bit about the experience of what what it's like to meet with some of those Mm. farmers, because that environment 
you know, for those of us who are in maybe a first world country, you know, and we're maybe closer to population, uh, that's not where these coffee beans are grown. Exactly. That's a great point, Pam. And I'm glad you you bring that up because the the relationships, the interpersonal relationships are really what has kept me in this business for over two decades. And coffee is grown in a belt around the world. So it's between the tropics of Cancer and Capricorn. Uh, So that's what we call the coffee belt. And uh, these are all developing countries, uh, some with better infrastructure than others, but uh, definitely not the developed world. And coffee as an agricultural product is produced in rural areas. So when I travel to origin, I'm flying typically to the, the capital of the country. And so I land and often that's where the exporters are based. And, but to get to the producing areas, I have to travel um, over land at least several hours. Sometimes it can take even longer. Sometimes I need to fly to a city um, that's sort of the hub of the coffee producing region uh, for in bigger countries like Colombia, Brazil, Peru. Uh, that's definitely the case. And even once I get there, it still might take several hours to get to the actual producer or producers. Yeah. So it can be quite a journey. And I'll admit it's definitely not um, spring break. It's not going to Club Med. Um, I've had some interesting travel experiences, even some very interesting things. Um, but, you know, it's really the highlight of, of my job is to get out and meet the producers. You know, coffee is a very, very labor intensive product. And people even who uh, drink it on a daily basis or even multiple times a day, um, sometimes don't know how much work goes into coffee. And particularly for specialty coffee, uh, the, the coffee cherries are handpicked. Uh, Brazil is the only country that does mechanical harvesting, but everything else in all other countries is handpicked, often in um, terrain that's that's very rough, steep mountainsides, trees, coffee trees that are densely packed together. It's a lot of work. And even on one branch of one coffee tree, you can have clusters of coffee cherries that are ripening at different stages. So you can have red, ripe cherries, yellow, semi-ripe and green, unripe. And so the best quality coffee is the, uh, the red cherry, the ripe cherry. And so pickers sometimes go back to the same tree seven, eight, nine times to get all the red cherries. And so an, a little known fact that I like to share is that for a pound of roasted coffee, it typically takes about a thousand coffee cherries to produce that. So coffee beans, what we think of as coffee beans, are really the seeds of a coffee cherry. So think of like a Bing cherry that has a pit. Uh, Coffee cherries, um, by and large, not um, most of them um, have two seeds in them. And so they lie flat against each other. And there are several layers that you need to get through to get to those seeds. So there are different processing methods that are used to um, get through the skin and the pulp. Um, There's a slimy covering over the seeds um, that's called mucilage. And then there's a shell around the seeds called parchment. So there are different steps to to get through to 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 end up with that that seed, what we call the green coffee. And then that's what gets exported. And we bring that into our roastery and uh, roast those coffees here. We make blends. Um, We sell some of the coffees as single origin. So it's 
really a fascinating process, um, fascinating supply chain. We're really processors. As coffee roasters, we process a raw material. Um, coffee, green coffee is very much like popcorn. So if you think about popcorn starting as a kernel that is inedible and having heat applied to make it pop into something that is edible, green coffee is very similar. So it, um, as heat is applied, uh, the, the bean, the seed expands, uh, it turns brown, and it, uh, the first pop is what we call first crack. And um, so there, if coffee is being dark roasted, it will pop again, so that'll be a second crack. But um, most coffees uh, are, are just go through the first crack. Yeah. I didn't know that they, the beans were so well protected. <laughs> you know, you think they're just kind of like seeds that are falling off the tree, but no. that really is so labor intensive. I am one of those people that I love coffee, but I didn't realize all that went into that coffee. And I really appreciate you telling us that. But the other piece of that is that, you know, the agreements and the, you know, the fact that you're importing some of these farmers coffee beans and, and, and helping them in that way and having those agreements, it's consistent income for them and an ability for them to, you know, sustain their families and, and their land and uh, support, you know, the future generations that are going to be taking over this operation. And I, I just love that whole story. I, I think it's great. And I think it's neat that Colectivo, you know, wanted you to maintain some of those relationships chips and, um, and continue to do that because you've got some pretty long-term importer uh, producers, I should say that, that you've been working with for a long time. So there's a lot yes. of longevity there. Yeah. So our oldest relationship at origin is with a fair trade cooperative in the Southern Mexican state of Chiapas, uh, which is right on the Guatemalan border. Okay. And the cooperative is made up of indigenous Mayan producers mm-hmm. who speak um, Mayan language called Teltal. And we were first introduced to them in 1998 and started purchasing from them in 99. Wow. So in January, um, the CEO of Colectivo, Dan Hurdle, and I, and likely a couple of other uh, representatives from the company will be traveling there to mark the 25th anniversary of that relationship. We are still their only customer in North America. And some of what we buy from them is uh, decaffeinated using a uh, water process decaffeination method that preserves the organic integrity of the coffee so that once we get the decaffeinated green, we are still able to sell it as certified organic. Okay. That's our oldest relationship. We also have uh, relationships that we've developed over the years in uh, Guatemala, Honduras, Colombia, Peru, Rwanda, Indonesia, um, a couple of other places, Ethiopia, the birthplace of coffee. And and we're still um, developing a new relationships. And that's uh, the fun thing about coffee is that there's there's mm-hmm. still so much out there to discover and new people to meet and a lot of innovation that's going on these days in terms of different processing methods. Yeah. And it's, um, it's an exciting time. You know, the specialty coffee market in the U.S. is has a couple of decades um, now of, of being very mainstream. And so I would definitely say that the market is, is a lot more mature now than it was when I first started uh, in late 2000. But um, what's really been interesting is um, how um, this industry is still very much relationship-based and a lot of um, interpersonal interactions, I think, are sort of really the core of, of what we do and during the pandemic, when no one was traveling, we were still able to do everything through email and Zoom. Um, right. But uh, coffee still flowed. And, and um, just this year, I started traveling. Yeah. So it, 
nice to get back on the road and to see see our friends because really that's what um, a lot of them have become. They're not faceless, uh, nameless coffee producers. They're they're people we've uh, met, we've gone back to visit, we've gotten to know, and we see them as partners because really our whole business, our our model, our whole company is based on a product that we don't create ourselves. So, like I said, we're a processor in that we roast the the raw material, but we need that raw material from someone else. And without it, and without the quality that we get consistently from these producers, we don't have a solid business. And and that um, really has been the root of of everything we do for almost thirty years. So, you know, I think that's another interesting thing for coffee consumers to to know is that even though coffee is considered a commodity. Um, specialty coffee by nature is something better in terms of quality. Uh, it comes with a price premium, but uh, traceability is a big uh, sort of pillar of our industry and really knowing who the producers are, even if they're small scale uh, farmers in rural parts of the coffee producing world, um, distant parts, remote, we still re- re- uh, rely on them. And mm-hmm. so, it, you know, I sometimes think of, um, this this field, this industry that I've been fortunate enough to be in for all these years, um, it's really like it's it's making connections and it's showing the, the human face behind a cup of coffee, and mm-hmm. that's something that um, I really have always uh, kept in mind and and tried to pass along. Is you know, it's not just something you're drinking; it's not made in a factory out of chemicals or something, you know, mm-hmm. these are people's lives. And we're talking about millions and millions of people. Yeah, I, I know that. And that part of it, I know that that you're very passionate about that part of the relationship. But I also think about, you know, you spoke before about your customers and, you know, that's an, the other piece of the extension of the relationship because you, you kind of have like a family People that are loyal customers of Collectivo Coffee, they have certain expectations for how they're going to experience their coffee and and what they're going to find when they get to one of your stores and and all of that. So so that's another piece of you even have somebody in charge of ambiance or I'm not sure what the title is, but uh, tell us a little bit about your customer experience goals for your customers. Sure. Um, so one of the things that we've uh, always done is to create a unique sort of multi-layered, multifaceted uh, experience for anyone who walks into one of our retail locations. And we've always made it our mission to make our products and particularly specialty coffee accessible to anyone and everyone, regardless of their prior experience with coffee, their knowledge, their taste preferences. We have um, never put coffee up on a pedestal and venerated it as like a sacred object. Obviously, it's it's critical to us. It's it's the the base of our of our entire company. But to make that coffee approachable, to do it in a way that is not intimidating, is not elitist. That's something that we've um, always attempted to do. And and the physical environment of our cafes is one of the things that we focus on and have focused on to do that. And so. Um, they are not sterile environments. They, they're not sort of museum-like. Uh, we use a lot of uh, reclaimed materials such as wood and metal mm-hmm. uh, in building out our retail spaces. And so there's a lot of texture. So, 
you know, you instead of like a, a shiny, perfect um, wooden table, you might, you know, find something that's got a lot of kind of nicks and grooves and um, you can tell that it's not new. And well, we call that well loved, I think. <laughs> yeah, so we um, we put a lot of work into that um, and, and definitely, you know, we're, we're known for having a certain look and feel in our retail spaces. And also something else that we've put a lot of uh, work into and still are is the customer service experience. And um, so treating each customer as a guest and, and, and really trying to deliver a, a great experience. And sometimes customers come in and don't even order coffee. We have a, a large food program. Uh, we do everything in house. We have a full service um, commissary slash bakery mm. called Trudor Baking Company. And so Ooh. they make all of the sweet and savory products that we sell in our cafes, uh, but they also do wholesale too. So they sell to other businesses, uh, some of which don't buy coffee from us. They just buy the baked goods. Yeah. So uh, we've developed that over the past 20 years and uh, food is now a huge, huge part of what we do, but um, you know, it, it definitely complements the coffee. And so People who come in and order a cup of coffee and a muffin or or a burrito and an iced tea or whatever, you know, lots of different combinations, of course. But it's really about delivering an experience and, and making people feel comfortable, um, yeah. even if they're in the store only for a couple of minutes and they take their order and go. But we have always uh, worked hard to, to create welcoming environments. Yeah. And I think that's important. And especially for people that are newer to coffee, I used to have a neighbor who didn't drink coffee, but she wanted to try it. And, and she used to joke around that she had a little bit of coffee with her cream. That's how she started. <laughs> it was more like, let me start with the cream and sure. just add the coffee as I'm ready to handle sure. more and more talking to your point about it being accessible. Like there's, there, it's nice to, for people to feel comfortable, they can come in and try some different things. But you also spoke about uh, th that they can, you know, just come in and grab and go. I know some, that concept really saved you during the pandemic. Yes. Uh, the, the whole takeout and an app you have, mm -hmm. too, yes. which is very helpful. So, yes. Yeah. So we actually developed an app and launched it a month or, or so before the pandemic started. Yeah, hey, what, what the, the person in IT had excellent timing, whoever planned that. that was it was a lot of work, yes. It was a lot of work in developing that. And we um, have tweaked it multiple times. But the app really did uh, play a huge role that we certainly weren't expecting. So uh, we did close our cafes for two weeks. Mm -hmm. um, at the very beginning of the pandemic. And then as we reopened the cafes one by one, we had to scramble as, as all businesses did in the food and beverage sector, and particularly those with retail presences. Um, so we came up with a sort of walk-up window concept. So uh, customers were able to come to the front door or a window and order something and, and not have to come inside. Mm -hmm. So um, one other thing that the app uh, has allowed us to do is curbside delivery. So, okay. um, so the customer can download the app, place an order, and say, "I would like curbside delivery. This is the make and model of my car." Um, the app has an algorithm that will tell you approximately how many minutes it will be before your order is ready, and okay. so you can drive up to the designated spot um, in the parking lot or next to the cafe on the street. Have an employee bring the order to you, so you don't have to get out of your car. Wow! So we don't, Talk we don't about 
That's that's really meeting your customer where they are for sure. <laughs> so we <laughs> don't have any drive. Literally. Right. We don't do any drive through um, transactions. So this was a way to not replicate that experience, but but to to allow customers to maintain a distance if they wanted to, and uh, particularly if uh, they were unable to find a parking spot or if they were kind of in a hurry. Um, so that's that's something that uh, we've been doing just for a couple of years now. And I think just having some options for your customers is a great idea, especially people's buying habits have changed since the pandemic, and not everyone wants to come in and be at their and drink their coffee inside. And, and some are, you know, on their way somewhere else, but they would really like some Colectivo coffee. So they're going to figure out how to get that kind of on the go so they can keep going. Well, thank you so much for just this whole, you know, view of the landscape that you are currently existing in and I'm looking forward to, I hope maybe you, you might expand outside of the areas <laughs> that you're at, just you're at 20 locations. So you know, we, we love coffee here in the Southeast as well. And I know the weather's a little different. So maybe the mix might be cold, cold brew a little bit more of the year. I'm not sure. But Al, is there anything else you want to share with our listeners before we go? Um, I think really, um, like I was talking about before, for people who drink coffee, uh, whether it's occasional, whether it's daily, uh, to really just think about where that coffee has come from. And sometimes it's a blend and, and it's going to have come from different places. Um, but either or, whether it's a blend or a single origin, to, to know that there are many, many, many people in this world for whom coffee is their sole source of income. And they work extremely hard and often difficult conditions with, uh, in many cases, a lack of resources and infrastructure that we take for granted in the U.S. And some of them produce really amazing coffee in spite of all those challenges. And they're, they've been doing it for years. Often they come from coffee producing families. It's been, an, it's been something that uh, goes back for generations. Mm-hmm. And uh, at Colectivo, we have a number of different products, product lines, and one of them is our featured farm program. And it's something that comes out once a month and often it's coffee from a single producer. And so we will, um, in most cases, not only put the producer's name on the package, but also a sort of stylized um, image that's based off of a photo of the producer, like a close-up photo. And so you can actually see uh, an image of the producer who, who produced that. And that, that for me, you know, is, is really, I think, special for um, many reasons, but for, for coffee drinkers to know where their product comes from, you know. In Wisconsin, we have a very strong agricultural tradition, particularly with dairy. And I'm always interested in knowing where food comes from. And uh, I subscribe to a a farm that uh, grows organic uh, vegetables. So I get a box um, every week, Uh uh, vegetables in it, depending on the time of the year. And so knowing that those vegetables that I'm eating came from that farm and I've got to know, I've met the owner of the farm and it's, it's really makes you kind of connected to what you're consuming and what are you putting in your body. And since we don't grow coffee commercially in the U S outside of Hawaii and a farm in Santa Barbara, California, um, this all comes from very far away places. So just because coffee um, is grown in places that are, that are far away, um, doesn't mean that you can't be connected to it. So nice. I think that's, that's sort of the parting message that I'd like to share. Well, thanks, Al, because it really is all about connections and relationships. 
and you've made several for us, um, you know, all the way from the producer to you who are just paying so much attention to how it gets roasted, making it accessible to those of us who love coffee, as well as those who want to try it out and see what all of the talk is about from us coffee lovers. Thank you so much for being with us on the Future Foodcast. Thank you so much for having me, Pam. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Future Foodcast. Future Foodcast is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry. 